Welcome to episode two of Breakfast Poetry. This week I'm interviewing Alison Kessler about her daily rituals and the poems that are moving her to keep her vitality full and flowing. Allie is a writer of stories, an astrological navigator, a miner of systems and patterns, a dreamer, a podcaster, and a highly feminine explorer of things unsaid and unseen. She is my Iona podcast co-host as we delve into the mysteries of seasonal cycles and the human psyche. In this episode, Allie confesses her fascination with darkness and her preference for dissolution. Her rituals ground her in passionate boundaries and keep her oriented toward a life of the cosmic imagination. I'm going to read my um, current favorite poem by Emily Dickinson. It's one I've been coming back to again and again in the last year. Um, it's You Cannot Put a Fire Out. You cannot put a fire out. A thing that can ignite can go itself without a fan upon the slowest night. You cannot fold a flood and put it in a drawer because the winds would find it out until your cedar floor. Mm. And there's just something about it that you can tell she's not talking about, obviously, like a literal fire because you can put that out. But that thing that burns in you that when you get this um, obsession or this inspiration, it's not something that you can... Um, quelch sometimes and it overtakes you and as a creative I'm always like kind of seeking that and um, it's a good reminder that it's maybe a little bit organic and you can't just create that but when it comes you just have to let it burn you know yeah so no, I love that <laughs> So tell me, I feel like then my question is, you know, have you in the past tried to put it out, you know, for whatever reasons, because of. Yeah, because sometimes, especially when I was an adolescent, um, it might have been around unrequited love or something, and that can be really painful. And so you try and find ways to kind of like suppress it and it can be unhealthy if you don't know how to channel that, like as an adult, I've figured out how to channel things better. But yeah, as a young person, that that probably created some destructive times in my life, for sure. <laughs> um, we won't go into those details. But, but yeah, but that is something I experience here and there. It might be only once a year. Sometimes it comes more than that. But I did in the past, I think it was about a year ago, have something that completely just it picked me up like a wave, like that flood line too. You cannot fold a flood and put it in a drawer. Like it did feel like that, like a wave picked me up and there was no stopping that wave. And I don't know, I can just relate to what's being said in it. And um, I don't know, something about it just speaks to me about you know, writing that maybe as an adult finding constructive outlets for it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It is this, I do crave it though. Like I want it, even though sometimes it hurts. Yeah, that's the thing with the fire, right? And then how how much do you let it burn? Do you have that kind of low flame that's kind of nice, <laughs> or you know, when it kind of you know reaches that um point to where it kind of consumes you which yeah um, and I like the consumption it's just now about channeling it mm. wisely yeah which comes with age hopefully because of age yeah but so it's yeah I don't know like it's just something I experience so it really speaks to me um can you I mean without you, you know you don't have to get too personal yeah. but um <laughs> You know what is something right now a fire in you that you're trying to channel that this poem you know as you you know what is something that you you have to remind yourself using this poem like what is going on right now in your life where you feel like okay i've got to channel this and i can't squelch this anymore 
Yeah, like I'm at the bottom point with this. Like I just found out that I have um, anemia that I need to be on medication for. And I had sort of an episode that illuminated that. So I'm like at the bottom of like, there's no fire or no flood right now. So I'm like rebuilding my vitality and, you know, with time. So I think it also really speaks to me right now, like a motivator to rebuild my vitality and rebuild that, I don't know, just uh, energy in my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that is no, thank you. But I am currently not experiencing the <laughs> unquenchable fire. I think that's something. But I am building it towards, you know, like I'm about to graduate from a school program, and I have some new ideas and aspirations of what I, what I want to do. So, trying to, yeah, build it to find that compulsion and draw there. Well, I think that's something that you're really good at is kind of seeing how uh, the health of your body fuels your creativity. And Uh so that poem, you know, that you shared with the fire and the flooding, and you're very in tune with, um, and and I think daily with all of your other different rituals, which we'll get into, you know, that keep you aware of what is going on with you physically and the things that are affecting you um, and then being able to channel that like you're saying into more creative imaginative realms yes yeah so okay so let's um so let's kind of jump back a little bit and i love that poem and by the way that's an emily dickinson poem right yes and um so I also wait before we move on I have to also say like something I love about Emily Dickinson that draws me to her poetry even though it can be sometimes like maybe a little bit young girl feeling but like she really didn't share much of it while she was alive and it has this private like it's like someone's private thoughts and I just love like mining people's psyches and it's the like diary. Her. <laughs> yeah. So I love that aspect of her in general. I think that's, I'm glad you brought that up with her. And I think, you know, when, you know, people are always asking me, you know, how do I get into poetry? Who do I start with? Who should I read? And Emily Dickinson is well known, but I also feel like people quickly they kind of maybe read a few things of hers and then they you don't know what to do with her and they move on pretty quickly like it's rare for me to find someone who's you know a diehard Emily Dickinson fan and I think it's because she one I think exactly what you say she kind of um awakes in us our own you know kind of juvenile immature raw emotions that in all honesty even as adults we all still have but we've learned how to hide them and not yeah there's something different about a poem that purposely wasn't shared you know right and And I think part and it's like yeah it's very raw yeah so I love that you picked an Emily Dickinson and so I want to encourage people to not be afraid of that rawness and to even it is, she also is somewhat morbid. Yeah. I, I like a little darkness. So, yeah. And I think that's why, you know, she probably didn't share it because I think, you know, especially in her time, that just was a lot for a female to speak in those ways. Yeah. And I think even now we're maybe just starting to be able to deal with the idea of darkness as something that, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of and that it's a necessary part of our psychological development and just as you know part of being a human being is we all have these dark sides but we mm-hmm. you know we're still in a society that doesn't allow us to um show that dark side and so actually i'm going to ask you again yeah. uh, and you can be as personal or not personal as you wish but <laughs> i mean as you've dabbled with in emily dickinson and, and found you know this side to her that you love you know do you are you aware of any kind of subtle ways that you've given yourself permission then to feel those same things? Or have you, like, how have you, how has her poems and her words helped you to 
accept at least kind of these darker, more raw sides of yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think what hits for me with that question is in terms of like a permission is I do have, like, I relate to her in the way of like, I have a lot to say and I have a lot in me, but I'm also incredibly private mm. and I really struggle with what I share and what I don't share. And her keeping so many things private kind of gives me that permission of like, not everything I compose or write or think as like a creative form that I want, you know, like, cause I am trying to forge a path as a creative but I don't have to share everything. And that gives me permission to just first write and then decide. I love that. It helps, it helps create boundaries, like healthy yeah. boundaries of, um, I like that. That's And I like the idea of like, there are some things I do wanna just keep for me and not yeah. share. <laughs> well, that creative process first and foremost is for ourselves and to help us work through to work through these emotions, to work through ideas, and not everything has to be shared. And I think in our oversharing society, <laughs> you know, that's it's always it's it's a relief to remember that we don't have to <laughs> share everything. Yeah. 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 And I think when you're trying to professionally be a creative, yeah, it can be hard to draw those boundaries of right because we're supposed there might be to be something that's so amazing and you're like i think this would do well but i do feel private about it you know and it's like yeah. you yeah. can keep things that might do well still to yourself right right there's some mystery there and i think that's what i love that you <laughs> really reminded me of again and again of just like the the power of mystery mm -hmm. you know, yeah that can draw people in so Okay, well, let's um, let's kind of back up a little bit and talk more in general about rituals. So you and I, um, we always laugh that we do things kind of similar, but on the opposite sides of the same coin. So when it comes to rituals, I'm very much like a monk, and you know, <laughs> my rituals over the years haven't changed much. Um, they're very subtle shifts, but for you, you definitely you have that more organic approach. So. Maybe if you could just talk in general about the role rituals play in your life and how you create them and how you practice them. Yeah, I um, I love variety. I love shift. I love changing as the light changes. <laughs> so um, seasons would be like what anchors me in ritual. But I do like I do have to say there are certain things that do stay very, you know, that are the same over and over. And that is the time of day that mm -hmm. I do things because they're like anchor points for me. So always, as I wake up first thing in the morning, the first hour of me being awake is for me. And what I do in that hour shifts constantly, but it is mine. <laughs> um, and then I would say probably, and I, this isn't something I've done for very long, but I'm really trying to cultivate a bedtime ritual because I have a hard time shutting this is more for mental health reasons, <laughs> but like I have a hard time shutting my brain off when I go to bed. So I'm trying to kind of do these gentle things to lure me into sleep and turn my mind off and slow me down. And um, mm -hmm. so I'm trying to keep that one actually pretty uh, consistently the same with either um, a bath or a gentle kind of like shavasana thing where I just breathe. Sometimes drawing a bath feels like a lot of work. So I'll just lay and um, focus on my breath or else put on like some um, meditation type music and just sort of yeah. try to get out of my brain and into my body and like slow my rhythm down. Um, but mornings, uh, that first hour, it varies so greatly. And um, 
I usually do a card draw that that would be a similar thing I do every day. Um, but you know, if it's a darker season, I'm going to do things more around having all the lights off and like really getting into um, a dark inner world, not in terms of like, yes, with darkness, but just like a, you know, primordial type of darkness and like mm -hmm. that nebulous place. Whereas with spring that's just starting right now, I might try to do some movement type things, but it's more about this hour that is so like, that I've just made really sacred and it's about me and it's about connecting with the day and anchoring me into the day. And I, if I miss it for some reason, it's like the day has never started. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's more about, it's almost like this cue to my body even, it's just gotten used to the like, I acknowledge the day, I acknowledge the any, you know, so like the season might inspire it, um, but my ideas come through astrology. I'm a huge astrology freak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'll look at like where the moon is that day in the moon phase or where a certain planet is and that might inspire a certain kind of activity, whether it's, you know, if Mercury's really active, I might do a writing thing or, um, if it's a full moon, I'm going to do something really nurturing with tea and, you know, so it really vacillates and it's very inspired by season and stars, but it is, it's this anchor point. And if I don't do it, my day is off completely. I love the, the way you're using that word anchor point. And so I have kind of two, a, a two part question. So, yeah. you know, there's this, I feel like for me with rituals, there's two things that happen with them. They, they ground me and they orient me. And yeah. I feel like those two are kind of similar, but they're very different. So can yeah. you talk about, you know, you're kind of saying this in the word anchor, you know, so can you talk about, you know, how it grounds you and then how it kind of orients and directs you a little bit? Yeah, I choose specifically the morning hour, the first morning I'm up in terms of like that grounding, because how I relate that hour in astrology is kind of an Aries-esque hour. And that relates to self and it's getting centered. It's finding a personal passion and finding a direction. Mm. So if you can just make something completely about yourself and feel centered, you feel held in a way. Um, and so that anchor point comes in there and the directional is like, yeah, finding, um, you know, every day has, whether it's mindfulness instilling my mind or breath and really tuning into my body, whatever I'm doing, something is finding um, a message, mm. which then gives me kind of a directive about how I'm feeling that day. And it's like this tune in of like, mm. how did I sleep? How mm. am I motivated? And just like really this huge check-in. And I feel like when you can spend an hour that's completely, and I am fortunate in that like I have the space and time to do that. I don't have kids. Yeah. I have a pretty minimalistic life. Yeah. So I, I know this probably doesn't work for everybody. Right. But if, you know, if that's possible, this ability to really check in, really kind of take your temperature, see what's motivating you that day, you can be a lot less selfish throughout the day because you've taken that time to know what you want, what you need. Yeah. And then you can kind of go about. And if I miss that, I do, I tend to probably be, I don't, I've actually not paid attention to that, but I bet you anything that also not feeling oriented in the day, I bet I'm more selfish too. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, well, the way you're saying this, it, and it, it makes me think of the word attunement. And it sounds like what this hour does is it attunes you and it makes you kind of realistic to how you're feeling and what you can yeah. accomplish in the day. I feel like what I struggle with is sometimes I'll override those feelings and I try to think I can do more than what I'm really feeling, you know, because I have this to-do list, I have work, I have 
all these projects. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's a lot you have to negotiate too. If you've got a big load on your plate and you had a terrible sleep and you're just feeling exhausted, it's like, okay, so what can today, what can I get away with not doing on that list? You know, like you do sometimes yeah. have to negotiate. Like I don't have the energy to do my to-do list. Mm -hmm. Could I put, could I move a few things to another day? And there are like, I'm constantly negotiating or some days I'll get up and I feel, you know, like yesterday and today I've been taking a ton of iron and I finally feel like I'm, you know, getting energy back. And I'm like, okay, I can like mm -hmm. do some things that I, in my, it's not like I have this list that's like, um, that I plan out a whole week in advance, but there are certain things in terms of my school schedule that I do very specific days. And I'm like, I'm going to do some of Monday's stuff today because I have the energy. So there is that sort of negotiating that takes place within that attunement for sure. Yeah, that's a good word, negotiating. And I feel like, you know, you're reminding us, and I feel like that's why these daily rituals, at least for me, are so important because it is that anchoring and grounding and you know, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour, you know, just, I feel mm -hmm. like even 10 minutes, you can get pretty clear on how your body is feeling. And I think the rest of that hour, at least for me, is just like kind of daydreaming and imagining and just oh, going okay. slow. But, you know, if you only have 10 minutes, I feel like that's enough to kind of think about, you know, and not think about, but to feel how you're feeling and to, um, so for yeah. people who, are crunched for time or, you know, 10 minutes even is sufficient, I think. Yeah. And there is like, when it becomes a practice and it becomes regular, there is a sacredness to it, mm -hmm. which I think helps with, I've never been someone that's um, suffered from depression, but I've had times in my life of questioning what do I believe in or this or that. And there's something about that sacredness of a, something you give to every day of your life that helps with a sense of belief in life and a belief in like, there is something deep and rich about my life, you know? Yeah, I yes, sacred. That's one of my favorite words. And I feel like these rituals for me, they're so ordinary. There's nothing special or fancy about them. It's just time to be quiet and there's no, you know, fancy technology around it. There's no, you don't have to go and train to do it. You know, <laughs> just like, yeah. And so I feel like that's, I think sometimes when we think of those words like sacred and holy, we have this like, um, I don't know, they feel big and like you have to be doing something really important for it to be sacred or holy. But I feel like that's the reality of, of creating a sacred and holy life is just doing these really simple yeah. And I think, you know, this isn't something I did growing up. It's only maybe been in the past five, six years that I've really paid attention to giving myself sort of, you know, anchor points. And um, there's, there's just something about, um, I always think of like Japanese tea rituals or something. And like, if you can get in the practice of doing something just like really beautifully and quietly for yourself and this ritual you like I'm finding more and more I'm applying that sacredness to really small mundane things that I used to just rush through or be bothered by. And like, it starts extending, I think. Yeah. And, um, I have to apologize. All the dogs just, I'm dog sitting for my brother, and I've got to, and they just got back from a walk, so they might be. That's great. We can have having to tell me about it for a minute. Let the doggies join. We love the doggies. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, that's, um, yeah, I think um, what I wanted to ask you next is. Um, you know, based off of that is, 
um, you and I both tend to be kind of introverted and very personal and we have these lovely, sacred, holy, um, personal rituals. But I also wanted to ask you if you've ever participated in more of a community ritual and, and what that was like for you. And if, you know, looking forward in the future, are there, you know, whether they're um, ancient rituals that maybe you wish could kind of come back and you would love to participate in or, you know, something that does exist out there and you're hoping one day you'll make it there. So if you could kind of talk about, you know, the, the community aspects of ritual. Yeah. Um, I dislike my space being invaded and I hate crowds. <laughs> so I have not done a good job of integrating or caring about community ritual, but there are community rituals that call to me and for certain reasons, they're ones that I won't participate in because they just aren't really my beliefs, but I find the practice so beautiful and I would love to have something like that to be involved in. Mm -hmm. So the call to prayer in like Muslim religions, I. It's something, the first time um, I visited Morocco was the first time I really heard this culturally as like big crowds doing it. And it felt like, I felt like I was home. Mm -hmm. It was weird. I'm like, I clearly have had a past life with this mm -hmm. because it felt so natural. And so um, it just like, echoed in me like this has happened to you like you've been part of this before mm. and I researched a little bit about it and they you know there are significant moments they do it that really do align with these directionals in the day um, in terms of like you know the beginning of the day and midday and I mean there's more to it than that and I'm like I love that um cosmic connection it's just that I'm not a religious person so that's not something I'm going to engage in but if there was just this ritual that people did to acknowledge as a community right. these beautiful moments in the day that are kind of like turning points so they're like directionals like sunrise midday because now the day's dimming and then sunset and you know like yeah it's so much more beautiful to, to have that call to prayer that's rather than like a ding on your phone to remind you to meditate or something yeah exactly <laughs> and it is something um as a witness i don't know as a participant but it feels like you um disappear into it it's not about any one person you're focusing on or needing to get up and speak or any like you kind of just like disappear into it and then you can go along in your day and I, I love that thought of like not having to like engage really with with the community. Maybe, maybe what needs to happen is for the introverts is you need to you need to make the app Allie that's like <laughs> call to prayer so that we can all know at the same time all over the world there's a whole bunch of us who are yeah. getting quiet and it's like still. call to the day or something or some different you know like yeah let's put some um paging. but I do love that you know and I've been in different maybe I'm not a regular yoga practitioner but I've been in different group settings where you do some chanting and I do love that I love there's something about a chant in a group that just like you just disappear in something and everyone's like a tune like ev everyone kind of attuning to the same thing creates like a one energy instead of a mm. this person's in my space it's like there's no space where I'll just mm. now I'm getting really weird but <laughs> no no well, but it does help with my space and introvert issues it just kind of dissolves yeah there can be some yeah anonymity in that dissolution of things yeah but yeah I think you know you bring up a good point with you know rituals and I think as you know I think for most westerners especially in the U.S. the first kind of exposure to chanting is through yoga and you know mantras but I think you know I just want to remind people like what the mantras are is, is poetry you know and it's 
it's everyone, you know, and I always say poetry is meant to be communal. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this, the chanting and the mantras is a really good way, you know, if you're, if you're struggling getting into poetry, like if you love chanting and mantras and do like, that's poetry right there. And yeah. the music of the language and how it enters the body and you can feel you know, like, even if, even if it's like, I think it's often, you know, in a yoga class, you know, it's Sanskrit. So most U.S. Americans, people, we don't understand Sanskrit, but you can feel what those words mean and you can feel what that that's doing to you. So, yeah, I'm definitely drawn to that. Poetry as disillusion to things kind of thing. There was a a, a rapper that I follow that <laughs> get my weird side um in a, a cipher he did he was talking about you know this current climate young people trying to be discovered and found through their different media channels and so they're trying to speak loud and be this shiny person to be seen. And I love this rapper, his name's Royce to five nine. He's like, I do my art to disappear. And that like mm. really speaks to me where I kind of have some, some struggles with, with uh, current climate and creativity is like the things I'm drawn to in art and creativity are in order to disappear and not to be seen. Mm. And mm. it's just, yeah, it's kind of not how the current climate works. <laughs> right. That's interesting. I like that you bring that up. And and side note, that's you know another way to get into poetry is through mm. rap. And I love these ciphers that you have sh shared with me. But you know, talking about Royce to Five Nine and his <laughs> wanting to disappear. I mean, you know his music much better than I do. Um, but he, it seems that he's still writing about things that are very personal. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not like an expert on his music. No, but I, yeah, I mean, it just is like a concept, uh, like, you know, I think that's something that's tricky as a creative is, is, yeah. it's that, you know, the particular is what becomes the universal and that's where it dissolves. But, you know, there, yeah. there's, and I think even with the writing you've done, even though it's not explicitly personal, it's coming from personal passions, it's coming from... Yeah you know, you've, you've been inspired by your own personal experiences. So I don't know. I don't know if you have anything to add to that or just like um, that kind of dissolution and, and as a creative, you know, being inspired by another creative who's similar to you. Yeah, I mean, I think um, anyone who's pushing at their edges and their boundaries and trying to move beyond them, which is sort of a process of dissolving things. Uh, it always inspires me. It always, because there's something you have to move on, you know, obviously it's coming from a personal place, but you have to kind of go past mm. that and push where are your edges with it? Mm. And where do you disappear and where do you start? And <laughs> that's so fascinating because to bring this back, you know, we were talking about how the rituals ground you and it sounds like somehow that's, you know, there's this a little bit of grounding that needs to happen in your life so that you can go into these places where you're just going to totally dissolve. And that's the, that's the place that excites you, you know, do you think yeah. you'd be able to be, you know, to pursue these places of dissolution if you didn't have the ground? <laughs> Uh, no, the ground, like you do have to have something on the floor or else you're just fully entering psychosis. You know? <laughs> so maybe that's, you know, runs in my family, but <laughs> runs in all of our family. I have to be careful with that. Um, <laughs> no, there is something satisfying that first thing in the morning, those finding your boundaries so mm. that you and it also is that thing of like knowing every morning I'm going to return to my boundary. I'm mm. going to return to myself and my edges. So you have that kind of homecoming every day. Which yeah. Is really lovely. Yeah. So you can it's and I do, actually before I even get into that, I probably spend a good 30 minutes just once I wake up, just laying in bed and kind of trying to go in and out of 
Mm. It's kind of it's like lucid dreaming where you purposely try to dream but not fully fall asleep. And so I am in this like weird. Mm -hmm. I guess that could also be a ritual in itself. I've never really thought about that, but I. Oh I, yeah, I love that. I love spending. I can't just wake up and get right out of bed. That doesn't happen for me unless I have like a meeting or something. Right. Um, left to my own devices, there's no way I'm just getting up right when I wake up. Yeah. I have to kind of come in and out of something. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing too sudden. <laughs> nothing too sudden. That's but sudden. yeah, like I like how you pointed that out though, that like my morning thing is my return to my boundaries for sure. I love that. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, you, your rituals are obviously, you know, you use nature and seasons to mirror, you know, you use that as your guide. And so I'm wondering, you know, do you have any advice to people who have never really done ritual? Like what's a, you know, what's something they can look at and kind of help themselves to mirror, to just create a simple, like, where's a starting place for people? Yeah, just very, very elementary. So like the spring quarter is all about the self. It's all about rediscovering who you are, just like the morning, you know, I could map a 24 hour circadian rhythm onto the year. So morning is like spring and you're rediscovering who you are, you're refinding your edges and your boundaries, your desires, your passion, which is another point of returning to those boundaries. If you completely lose those, you lose passion, mm. um, which is probably why I'm anemic is I spend a lot of time outside of my boundaries <laughs> and why I get drawn to Emily's poem of that mm. fire. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Anyway, but going on. So spring is all about rediscovering you, rediscovering uh, mid spring is like rediscovering your voice. End of spring is sort of, um, it's a little um, in astrology it would align with Gemini season, which is about like connection and community. So it's weird to think of it about a self thing, mm -hmm. but it is that it's, by connecting that you find your sense of belonging, which is helping your yin and yang sides find their own harmonizing. So mm. community helps us harmonize our own inner tensions. Mm. So the spring quarter is all about rediscovering you, um, your body, your voice, your sense of you know, inner belonging intentions. And then summer is sort of like the luxurious season where you've put in a lot of work, you've had a lot of energy in spring, and now it's really hot, and we've kind of gone past the blooming phase, and it's fruitful now, and things are just growing. You don't have to do much, and so you can kind of sit back and daydream and play and recreate and go on vacation, <laughs> and, um, but it's also about a sense of maturity. So as you're kind of stepping back and relaxing, you're starting to kind of more and more engage with society and family and, you know, work and stuff and um, deepening something about your life. So mm -hmm. growing the fruits of it. Um, so a little bit more, you know, like a little bit more high octane in spring, starting to relax in summer, but like in a recreational, playful way. Yeah. And then autumn is that letting go. And it's when you astrologically start sharing with others more intimately and building trust and relationship. Um, so it's, you're starting to darken, you're starting to turn inward. And as that happens, it's like, you need, um, you need to start sharing with others in order to survive. Mm. going back to like maybe hunter-gatherer times yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little different in our times we have everything available to us all the time but but there's a relationship to the season and the light and it does signify like turning within but also letting others in yeah. to that inner space you know we've been a little bit more outward when the daylight's been stronger than the night. And so now the night is a little stronger and we need to let others into our night side. Yeah. And then that. winter is like the primordial place where you're planting a seed and it's incubating and 
things are cracked, like old constructs and shells are cracking apart and a new dream is sprouting underneath the ground. And so there's this like dual thing going on of like shedding the old and incubating like a new hope. And it's really complex and we really have to detach in winter and sit in just this, <laughs> yeah, it's like the primordial place where you just like kind of need to sit in darkness, observe, detach. You find more energy by joining group things. So the group kind of moves things along rather than personal energy. I don't know. Those are just some. I love, yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I think for people to kind of get a that's a really incredible summary of the year and the seasons and, and for people I mean it really is like and I think for people is like you know the ritual can simply be that sitting quiet and just thinking on these different themes depending on what the season is you know yeah. the, the sitting quietly doesn't have to look any different but it's kind of the, the inner what are you focusing on and yeah what are you orienting towards and right right yeah, so, okay, well, let's um, kind of moving towards the end. I know you have another poem to share and I know it's a long one. So, you know, maybe just share of it what you wish and, and you know, why it's something that's a poem that's speaking to you now um, and how you're kind of using it to guide you. So I'll just read sort of the first, um, 10 or so lines because it is long, uh, but it's, it's called um, Kubla Khan by Samuel Coolridge. Um, and he was sort of, I want to say he was in the romantic area. Yeah. yeah. One of the first romantics. Yeah. One of the first romantics. So, and they were very connected to nature and that's something that speaks to me in general, but I'll read this and then get into Wyatt. What about him and this kind of resonate with me? Um, okay. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan, a stately pleasure dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man down to a sunless sea. So twice five miles of fertile ground with walls and towers were uh, girdled round. And there were gardens bright with sinuous rills where blossomed many an incest bearing tree. And here were forests ancient as the hills enfolding sunny spots of greenery. And this is a famous poem that actually was never finished. <laughs> so um, I don't know how to say this without putting myself in a bad, not a bad light, but like, um, <laughs> He, he was sort of notorious for visiting opium dens. And there's something about that time frame when the East was being sort of discovered and opium was a poet's drug and not really, it didn't really have this stigma that it has today. You know, it's not a good thing to do. But there is a nostalgia and something like really romantic about an opium den in that time <laughs> and a poet. <laughs> and just the way he's talking, I mean, it's, this poem is nuts to me, like a pleasure dome. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and just the way he's talking, you can tell he is probably, you know, on opium. And, yeah yeah he's dissolved his boundaries yeah I don't personally have urges to do heroin or hard <laughs> drugs in general I've always had the sense that I would probably immediately die if I ever did one of those <laughs> and I think it's because like naturally I'm already just kind of yeah sometimes in that place <laughs> maybe well I think that would just take me over the edge to psychosis or death I think what these poems, both of these poems are doing is it kind of gives, it gives us permission to embrace those sides of ourselves that society doesn't necessarily embrace. And we, you know, that, you know, we're always trying to present this like really polished linear side of ourselves, um, you know, to, to belong in society. And yet, you know, there's these parts of us. And I think that's what's so fun about 
poetry and especially some of these older poets I think sometimes people are afraid of the older poets because they have this their language is a little bit more I don't know but yeah it's like but if you I did not pick a modern poet I'm sorry yeah no I love that you didn't I mean and that's you know I think that that helps you know I think you might have to spend more time with these poets just you know but but that's the gift of it is you spend more time with them and all of a sudden, you know, these images and this imagination of other worlds and another time yeah. is, um, it can be nostalgic. It can be that escape. It can be, you know, like I was saying, like permission to just like, you know, sometimes I think our modern society is too sterile and too um, precise and these, you know, older times when you know, they didn't know what, <laughs> you know, opioids and opi- like opium was yeah. like, they didn't know. And so it was, you know, probably causing so much harm, but you know, there yeah, was- and so many people took it as a medicine. What was it called? Um, uh, what? Morphine? No, it was like a liquid that they used all the time back then. And it was basically like a heroin based oh, I can't think of it yeah um, they use it I know you're also a fan of Outlander and they use it all the time in that to oh kind of help, um oh anyway yeah we'll think but of a it. lot of people got addicted because it was a like a very common medicine yeah 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 there's these dark sides but I think you know that satisfies we're curious as human beings and we're curious as to you know how our world affects us and so I love that you chose that poem for so many reasons and the romantics because you know with my academic background and poetry like the romantics are kind of looked down upon you know like they're too flowery they're too imaginative and they're they're not you know they're just they're not as dignified, you know, but I love, I love that. I love them. Because I think they, they, they tap into something that we all have this voyeuristic thing that we're not supposed to be. And I get why, and there's, you know, good reason to be careful with voyeurism and nostalgia. And yet it's like, it's also like, you know, I, society has become really complex and populations are crazy. Um, in terms of being overpopulated and it does like harken back to this time that was just simpler and not so industrial and busy and um, you know something I do crave all the time is like space and slowness and nature and so there is this like that brings me to a time where there was that yeah so I think I'm not saying that it was a better or worse time we adapt to what our environment is for sure and that has its ups and positives and negatives as does every time um yeah but uh, yeah it just brings me back to a place that like I feel like I would I would like to experience and enjoy (laughs) you bring up a really good point about ritual itself and you know what ritual does it's it's the cyclical way of experiencing life you know it gets you off of the linear timeline and all of a sudden you know time doesn't exist in this like all of a sudden you're back with this poet and experiencing as much as you can the same thing and so that's what I love about ritual is it it changes the nature of time in your life to where it's like you keep coming back and so it gives it that cyclical nature for yourself and that kind of homecoming but also for this like you get to experience you know especially when you bring something like poetry into it or it could even be music or whatever you bring into your rituals these things you know they connect you to another time yeah so definitely all right well thank you so much ali um allison we'll decide how we're going to (laughs) maybe um Um, ali that's great (laughs) so this thank you so much for being the first interview for breakfast poetry and um we'll we'll go from here and if anyone has any questions for ali you can contact me and um I'll see if I'll see if she's has interest in responding. (laughs) Of course I will. Thank you for for interviewing me. This was really fun. So 
I'm excited to see this project take off. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.